As uh, Isaac mentioned, we're from Calvary Chapel Redeeming Grace. We're a church plant only two years ahead of you guys, but we're on the far east side of El Paso. Actually, we're pretty close to El Dorado High School, so um, thank you guys again for having us. Before we get started in our Bible study, if you guys want to find Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 16. And uh, while you guys are turning there, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come before you. Lord, we just, uh, we had an awesome time in worship, Lord. We, we pray that you were glorified, that you were given the praise and honor you're worthy of. Father, we want to direct our attention now to your word. We ask that you would speak to us from it. Lord, that you would change us through your word, Father. Pour out your spirit in this place. Give us understanding into your word and the strength and power to follow your word, Father. And Lord, we also want to just continue to lift up Angel and his wife, Robin. We want to pray for him as, uh, Lord, he's going through a, a, a time right now. And I just pray that you would use him as a, a beacon of light and hope amongst his family, amongst all those that he's around, Father. And the Lord, we pray for a safe return home back to his church, back to here, where he can continue to serve you and minister for you faithfully, Father. Lord, we thank you for this time, and we just ask that you be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The title of my message this morning is Why Church? As we consider Why Church, I want to say that um, an unfortunate consequence of the culture of America is affecting the church with its consumerism mentality. Um, there's Somehow the church exists to provide a service for people. Those who go to a church go for what they can get out of it or for what it can do for them. And once the church stops meeting our needs, we start looking for another church. This mentality and this view of the church is completely wrong but there's a worse view also. The worst view is the idea that we don't even need church. That we want Jesus, but not his church. And most often, this comes from having issues among the people. Now, the way to fix both of these wrong ideas about church is when we refocus our belief on what church is and what the church is for. You see, the church is not a building. You guys come and meet here, but this building is not the church. You guys coming and meeting here, you are the church. The church is a people, not a building. And the people gathered in the name of Christ, Christ who is their Savior and the head of the church. You see, the church exists as the means for the body of Christ to come together. The body of Christ to grow together. The body of Christ to mature together in all things under Christ as the head. Today I want to answer the question of why church. I hope by the, by the time I'm finished sharing with you guys and by the time we go through Ephesians that we would understand why church. Now there's three types of churchgoers that I see and that I encounter on a regular basis. The first one are the have-tos. These are those who have to go to church. Church has always been something done out of obligation and for church, and for them, church is doing their time. It's an obligation. It's, it's, it's a ritual. It's, it's just something that they have to do. The second group of people 
are the need tos. These are those whose life situations are such that it drives them into church. Life is so hard, they say, I need to go to church. I don't know where else I can, I, I can go. If everything's falling apart, I've got to go to church. Issues and problems and other things, they can't put their finger on it, but they need church. And so for them, church will fill their need. Church fills that hole, that vacancy. So they need to go out of necessity. The third group are the want-tos. These are those who know the church as their life, and it's a desirable life to them. They're more concerned with being the church than they are about the church. They have the desire to go to church. They want to. And so taking these three phrases, have to, need to, and want to, I hope I can answer the question of why church. So if you guys would start reading along, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul writes, he says, And he, Christ himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So starting off, we have the have to. Why church? We have to. Again, in, in verse 11 and 12, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. This is where Christ has provided some overseers for the body as a whole. Christ himself gave some. He gave some people the gifts of leadership in the church, the offices of leadership within the church. And these leaders and these gifts of the leaders are given at the discretion of Jesus. So you might come to a church, you might go, well, I don't think that guy should be the pastor. Christ is the one who provided that position, that gifting, and that calling. And there are some who, who show up and, and they want to be the leader. Well, when Christ calls you, gifts you, and, and puts you in that, he will also provide that position for you in leadership. And this is where, these verses are where some get the fourfold or the fivefold ministries, depending on how you read it. So you have the apostles, that's the first office. And literally, that means the sent ones. This was those who had seen Christ resurrected and laid the foundation of the church. Now, in today's churches, we don't have apostles. There, there are no, no other eyewitnesses to Christ's life. There's a foundation that's laid, and we don't need a new one. But the apostles have now moved into a different category. These would be your missionaries. These are the ones who are sent out now. They go out and start new churches. They go out and proclaim the gospel of Christ in places that they have not heard it before. Then you have prophets. Prophets of the church, they, these are not the guys with the really long gray beards and the, and the robes that they wear, and they come up and they say, Thus saith the Lord. 
Prophets are those who speak the word of God. We don't have prophets in the same respect as the Old Testament or, or in the times of Jesus. Um, because before their authority came from the truthfulness of what they said, and it came to pass, they would speak truth and you would receive them. And if it didn't come to pass, they were liars and you would take them outside and you would stone them. We have prophets and prophecy today, but it is under the authority and the judgment of the church and the foundation that was previously laid by the apostles of Jesus Christ. So they're held to the standard of consistency with the written word of God. There's no new prophecy today. Everything lines up with the word of God that has been revealed to us today. You have evangelists. We know who evangelists are. They're the ones who go out and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they do it in such a crazy way. We're like, that's good for you. You guys go have fun with that. And then you have pastors and teachers. Some join these together, and some separate them out as two different offices. I'm not going to say which way is right or wrong. It just depends on how you read the Bible. Um, I see these, in, in our own ministry, I see them as separate. And so I raise some up to be teachers, and I raise some up to be pastors. Because I believe that you can be a teacher and not have the heart of a pastor or the gifting of a pastor. And these ones are the ones that are used to shepherd the flock as pastors or to teach the doctrine of the word of God. They're the ones that um, God has given the ability to clarify and communicate his truth. And these offices are those that are prescribed by Jesus for the church to accomplish his purpose of the church. And the purpose of the church is explicitly listed in verse 12. There's two purposes. The first is equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And the second is for edifying the body of Christ. See, equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. In the original language, the word used for equipping carries the idea of put right. This word was used to describe setting broken bones or mending fishing nets. It's, it's taking something and mending it so it's correct again. So it's like taking all of us that have our crazy notions and weird ideas of church, and, and, and they're the ones that are supposed to help us focus it and sharpen it to the razor-sharp tip of an arrow. These leaders, through their ministries, they work together to produce strong, mended, fit Christians. And when it comes to ministry, the purpose of the church is to make sure that none of us feel like, oh, only those guys do ministry. We're going to leave all the ministry for those guys. The rest of us, we're just going to come here, and we're going to get filled, and, and we're not going to participate. There's, a, there's an idea, and there's a culture that's put out there um, that the professionals are the ones who do ministry. But God's word says that all of God's people are called to the ministry. They are supposed to be equipped to do the work of ministry. It says the saints will do the work of ministry. And everyone who is here this morning in Christ Jesus, you are a saint. Even if the person next to you doesn't agree with that. You are a saint if you have Christ Jesus in your heart. And so we're, we're supposed to go out with the leaders, with the gifting from Christ. They have the first responsibility to equip you. But you have the responsibility to go out and do the work of ministry. And then the second purpose of the church is to edify the body of Christ. To edify means to build up. That I, the idea behind that is the idea of making more able. So as you come here and you're able to do ministry... 
The church is supposed to come around you with its leadership, with those offices of leadership, and they're to build you up to do more, to do better. The idea is strengthening through teaching. And progress results from patient effort. You see, the leaders are to patiently, through much effort, make the body more able. Chuck Smith, one of the great heroes of Calvary Chapel, says the primary purpose of the church is not to convert sinners to Christ, but to equip the saints for the ministry and edify the body. There's a lot of people that come to church and their idea is, I'm going to bring my neighbor so that they can get saved at church. When the truth of the matter is that God has given you that place of influence and that place of ministry to minister to them personally, where they'll be affected much stronger through your, through your own testimony. So why church? We have to. It's how Christ has ordained us to be equipped and, and built up as his body. Second group is need to. The second reason for why church is need to. In verse 13, Paul writes, he says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. You see, to accomplish this within us, there are three things that God wants to do in us through church and its leaders. The first is unity of faith. You see, we come to church until we all come to a unity of faith. This means it's ongoing and we're not there yet. There's some that are further in the faith. And there's some that are further in that sense of unity. And there are some who just came to the faith. And they're, and, and they're just beginning that pathway. The church and its provision from Christ is necessary and needed until we all come to a unity of faith. So until you come to a unity of faith, you have to come to church. But I'm going to tell you something. This side of heaven, we will never come to a complete unity of faith. So we always need to come to church. Until Christ comes and calls us home with him, we have to be part of the church. We have to gather as the church. We have to continue to come together. We need that spiritual unity. This isn't a structural unity. This isn't an organizational unity. It's a spiritual unity where we all come together around a common faith. We all gather here not because we like this building necessarily, right? I mean, we all love this building but we don't gather here because this building is so awesome. We come together because we want to gather as people who know to call upon the name of Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's why we gather together. And so we're, we're to come and gather until we have a unity of faith. We're to come together until we have a knowledge of the Son of God. You see, when we're saved, we know that Christ died for our sins. And that if we believe in him, we have forgiveness of sins from him. Well, we don't know even more or less from that point on who he really is. And so we have to be instructed, we have to be taught, we have to be brought up and matured to know who Christ is. The knowledge, intimate knowledge of the Son of God, to know him thoroughly. When we first came to faith in Christ, how many of us knew that we could call upon him in the deepest, darkest parts of our life? 
In those times where we feel like we can't go on any further, how many of us knew at that time that that's where Christ is? Most close to us. We need to know him thoroughly and recognize for who he really is. It's an experiential knowledge of Christ, and we can't get that anywhere else except by coming and gathering as his people and experiencing the manifestation of his glory as we gather as his body and he is the head. And then finally, we gather together for maturity. It's a unity of faith, a knowledge of the Son of God, and maturity to a perfect man, mature manhood, its stature. It speaks of age, span, and maturity. But here's the measure of maturity. Christ. Until we are all like Christ, we are all immature. Everyone has the same standard of maturity. Christ. And what, I, what this says to me is that until you measure up, you need to mature. And, and I'm speaking to myself here. Until I measure up to Christ... I need to mature. Until you measure up to Christ, you need to mature. Maturity in Christ is not about how old you are in Christ. Some of us may have been introduced to Christ at a very young age, but because we didn't have that structure, that that, um, building up, that equipping, we stayed immature. You know that you're reaching towards maturity when you become more and more like Christ because God has preordained that we should be conformed into the image of Christ. I like remembering that um, Peter in his epistle tells us that we are like gold in the refiner's fire. Do you know how gold is purified? You continue to turn up the heat. And as you turn up the heat, all the dross, all the impurities come to the top. And you scrape it off. And then you heat it up some more and you start all over again. How do you know when the gold is done being purified? When the refiner can see his reflection in the gold. So until you reflect Christ, he's still refining us. He's still refining us. So he wants to accomplish that in us. And he wants to accomplish that in us for our protection. You see, it, there, it said that so that we are no longer tossed to and fro like children. He doesn't want us to be like children. Children believe anything you tell them, right? At least my, my kids do. <laughs> Maybe it's just because they've come to trust me. I don't know. But as children, we can be like led astray very easily. Children require someone to do everything for them. With children, they, they need to be looked out for. They need to have safety locks. Uh, I remember when my kids were real young, we had to baby-proof the house. We're still pulling those plugs out of the electric sockets. And it's, it's really hard. I'm breaking nails and everything on it. Because children are not mature enough to see the danger ahead. They don't know how to have foresight. All they know is right now, in the moment. They never think about the future. They're impulsive. They put things in their mouth. They touch hot things. Children are also naive in their thinking. And that's why Paul relates us to children. That's why we need to grow up in the faith and we need to understand, we need to be taught that we would be stable in our walk, no longer tossed to and fro, literally tossed by billows of waves, by every kind of doctrine and teaching. How many of us hear someone say, 
that they're a Christian, and then they come in with this teaching, and we're like, yeah, and then, and then later we find out, wait a minute, I was totally led astray by this. we got to be strong in the Word of God so that they can't do that to us. It's speaking metaphorically of an unsettled condition of a mind in which you're influenced or agitated by a false teaching, by another false teaching, by someone just taking you back and forth. One of the characterizations of immaturity is lacking firm conviction in what you believe. We need to be guided by a firm conviction that comes from understanding the Word of God. So that we can also withstand the deceit and trickery of men. Because there are men out there that have, they, they study churches and they look at it and they say, I can get rich off of that. They say, I can make some, I can make a big name for myself. And they go out and they do it. And the, and the, and the sad truth of the matter is, is um, the, these evangelists that you hear of, these, these people that go out and they, and they um, profane the name of Christ and, and, and they turn it into a, a mockery and, and, and a thing to get rich off of the people that they're robbing aren't the rich people. They're ripping off the poor people who have no hope, and this is their last hope. And they know that they've heard that Christ is the one in whom they can hope, and they get ripped off. These guys, they lie to deceive. They know the truth, and they lie and they deceive it. But if we knew the truth just as well, and if we were mature in the knowledge of the truth, we would no longer be gullible. We could no longer be taken advantage of. Because gullibility is a sign of immaturity. You see, the evidence of maturity is Christ-likeness, stability, truth joined with love, and cooperation and unity as a church. Why church? We need to grow and mature in Christ. It's for our protection and for our good. The last one, want to. Why church? Want to. Verse 16 says, From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body. For the edifying of itself in love. We should get to the point where we want to come to church. We want to be the church. We want to. The way that you do that is you begin to see yourself as a member and a part of the body of Christ. Every person in Christ Jesus is a part of the whole body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that every member, though we're different, though we have different parts, though we have different gifts, we are all members of the same body. Each and every part has its own role in the overall development of the whole body. You know, your human body, as you look at it, you see that it consists primarily of bones, organs, and flesh. But these bones are bound together by joints and ligaments. The organs are attached by ligaments. Each and every joint and ligament fulfills a role in the growth and the usefulness of your body. So it is with the body of Christ. We have to come to an understanding that no member is superficial, useless, or can be missed. Even the most humble part is quite necessary. I want to encourage you this morning. 
you, you may have been coming and, and, and you're, you're already bought into this. Remain bought into this. Remain knowing the fact that you fulfill a major function as the body of Christ. It doesn't matter what your gifting is. It doesn't matter how you serve the body of Christ. You are important. Every part is necessary and must be doing its share. So I encourage you, if you haven't bought into that and you've never heard this before, I encourage you, find your role and do your part. Allow the Spirit of God to show you where He wants to use you. How did He design you? What part of the body does He want you to be? And you fulfill it. And thus, you fulfill the purpose for which God Himself created you for. As I mentioned, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the gifts of the Spirit. Every member has a gift from the Holy Spirit. That's how you know your part in the body of Christ. What gifts has He given you? You want to know the gifts? This is how I remember them. Just remember that there's two twelves and there's two fours. You have 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. That's where the gifts of the Spirit are listed. That's where the gifts within the church are listed out. As each believer fills their role, the body grows. Right? As our body functions together in, in the natural world, as our body functions together and it does all its parts, you, you become healthy and you grow, right? Christ's body's the same way, but on the spiritual side of it. As you function together spiritually, you grow spiritually. In a very real sense, the body causes its own growth. So it is with Christ's church. As we become a healthy church, as the church becomes what it was intended to, it automatically grows. That is the church that God continues to grow. Maturity-wise, numerically, and in what he wants to use that church for. A part or a person might be in the right place, but if it's not functioning, if it's not functional, you can't rightly help others. So we all need to be diligent, not just in having people come to church, but we need to be diligent in making sure that you're being trained at church to fulfill your role, to fulfill your function, to make be that part. If you go to a church and that church is telling you you don't have a part here, find a different church. That church isn't a healthy church. But if you go to a church and they're telling you you need to find your spot, you, you are a part of this body. We need you. We will miss you. If you don't come on those times where you don't feel like it, then you're in the right church, and you need to look at how you can be built up to fulfill your role. The parts all fulfilling their own role necessary in unity, effective working. David Guzik, another, another big name amongst the Calvary Chapel churches, um, he says this about it. Some people think of the church as a pyramid. With the pastor at the top. Others think of the church as a bus driven by the pastor who takes passive passengers where they should go. God chose to have us see the church as a body where every part does its share. The effect of working causes growth, as I said, both in size and strength. As well as edifying itself in love. You come to church because you know that the world doesn't love you. And you come to church, if you're not 
or harming your function. You're not helping the church to be the, all the love that it can be. So you edify yourself in love as you serve together and you come together as the body of Christ. This is not Christ's love for us or our love for him. It's our love for one another that we're called to fulfill. You see, Christ himself said, they will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Why church? Because we want to. In order for proper functioning of the body, we must assemble together. So as you as you consider where you're at amongst these these three situations, I would challenge you if you're if you're not at the point of which you want to, which you see the fact that you need to, and the fact that you have to. Like if it doesn't encompass you, like on Sunday when you get up and you're like, I don't know. You, you, you got to change why you're gathering for church. You got to get that right mindset because on, on Sunday or even when you have a midweek service or the youth service, you, you got to be like, man, I can't wait to go. This is going to be awesome. That's where I get life. So we got to change why we gather for church. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. The writer of Hebrews says, Let us consider one another. In order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. The three types of churchgoers that I mentioned, the have-tos, the need-tos, and the want-tos. I want to speak to all of you. Stop thinking of yourself. Consider one another. Most of us, when we come into church, we're only considering ourselves. What will I get out of it? Will I like what's being taught? Will I like the music that was chosen that week? Will they have enough coffee for me? Are the donuts going to be good or are they going to be, you know, from the discount store? I'm not saying that discount donuts can't be good also. I'm just saying. Some of us have those preconceived... <laughs> Where, where we're like, all about our church experience is focused on what's going to happen to us. And it's time to challenge ourselves to grow in this area so that we begin to see church differently. Stop thinking of the individual and start thinking of the body as a whole. Wake up, like I said, on, on Sunday or, or whatever, when the church is gathering, when maybe maybe there's a planned outreach or something, and you're like, ah, I don't know. You just go, I don't feel like going to. You look outside, oh, the weather's kind of bad. I see that cloud over there in the sky. Oh, look, the leaves are blowing, and it's going to be windy. And, and I'm like the rest of you. I don't like wind in El Paso either. It's, it's just bad. Or what about church? Maybe it's too early, <clears throat> too tired. You wake up with the thought, they won't miss me anyway. Maybe you have the idea that the, the church doesn't even know who you are. They're not going to miss me. They don't care if I'm there or not. These are all lies that not only our flesh tells us, but Satan will whisper it in our ear too, because if he can keep the body from gathering together, he keeps the body from being at full strength. But I ask you and I challenge you, would you miss a body part 
if you woke up one morning and it wasn't there? Like even your pinky toe, right? Like you wake up and it's not here. What? <laughs> You're not going to be like, ah, it's okay, I didn't need it anyway. You're going to be going, what happened? It should be that way with us with the body of Christ. When we see somebody that's not at church, we should be concerned and we should find out what's going on and we should make sure that every part of the body of Christ knows that they're needed, wanted, and loved. And you should feel that way too. As we gather together, we also see here in Hebrews that we are to stir up. That word stir up can also be uh, translated provoke. How many of us like to provoke one another? On accident, of course. I've heard it described that, you know, we're all like porcupines. Usually, porcupines in the winter, they need each other to stay warm, right? But as they get closer and closer, they begin to needle each other. And so, I've heard us described as porcupines. I've also heard Christians described as sandpaper. And the closer you get to one another, the more you rub off on, on each other and, and, and start to shape someone else's shoulder. And uh, it, it's an uncomfortable thing. But this idea of stirring up and provoking is a sharpening. It's a figurative meaning of an encouragement to some action or some feeling. Stir up out of conflict. I think of that Proverbs. I believe it's Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron. The only reason iron can sharpen iron is because as it hits, it's just as strong as the other thing, but it creates sparks, doesn't it? Sometimes when we have those sparks that are created, it tends to drive us away from church. But what we need to see it is that's you being refined. That's you being sharpened. That's the Lord shaping you. And he's using those around you to do it. He's not saying, don't go to that church anymore, because obviously that, that one person that you're having issues with, what he's saying is, how is it shaping you? How is it giving you the opportunity to be used in your specific role? You see, we should be creating that contention of creating opportunities for love and good works. We need to stir each other up for that. And so as we stir each other up and we bother each other, Look at all that ample opportunity to love one another with a sacrificial, unconditional love. Oh, you really bothered me that day, but you know what? I'm still going to serve you. And I'm going to do it out of love. We bring our own issues and our feelings, and as we bring them to church, you know what I find happens? And, and I'm the pastor at our church, and, and I can come in in a bad mood. I can come in having a terrible day. Traffic drives me just as crazy as it does everybody else. Um, but as I go to church and I come in and I have this sour attitude and I'm just feeling like I don't want to... You know what happens? People choose to respond to my sour attitude, my, my face that just says, go away. And they respond with a love that melts the heart of stone because it's the love of Christ. It's that unconditional love. That love that we're to stir one another up to. And, and I get it. None of us are immune to those feelings, but that's why we need the body of Christ. We come together, and the body of Christ helps us in that. We stir one another up to love and good works. The idea is as we gather together, we bring out love, we bring out good works. And lastly, we, we exhort one another. 
exhorting. That means to urge, implore, encourage, strengthen, invite, and spur one another on. How many of us like going to pep rallies, right? From high school. Everybody remember the pep rallies in high school? They're mandatory, but they were always fun. You left there like all amped up. You're like, whoa, let's go. Or even on Sundays, watching our favorite sports teams. Why can we cheer so loudly for somebody to move a ball past a line? We come to church and we sit silently. We should be listening to other people's stories of how God is using them, the things that he's doing in their life, the things that he's showing them and teaching them. And we should be going just as loudly, cheering them on and saying, you go for it. Let God lead your life. Let God shape your life. I can't wait to see what he wants to do next in your life. And when they come in and they say, you know what, I, I lost my job. And you go, wow, that's amazing. Because nothing happens without God saying that I'm going to allow this to happen. God is in control of everything. And just because you lose your job doesn't mean God has lost you. It means he's got something else for you. And I can speak from experience on that because I've lost my job twice. Not as a pastor. <laughs> I was a programmer before and I've been laid off twice from the same job. They brought me back 18 months later and then uh, five years later laid me off again. But the second time that they laid me off, it was the Lord bringing me full-time ministry. And it was something that I've been praying for because my time was so divided. Mm -hmm. But I could have chosen to go, oh man, my life is terrible, this is horrible. But instead, I was like, Lord, what are you doing? What do you want to do? I can't wait, I'm excited. And we should do that for one another. Sometimes when you're going through the tough times in life, you can't be your own cheerleader. And so we go to church because church, the body of Christ, is our own cheerleader. Notice that the author's emphasis here, as Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, it's talking about what happens when the believers gather together and they don't forsake the fellowshipping of, of together. And it, it describes a believer's meeting together. The emphasis is not on what the believer gets from assembly, but why, rather it's focusing on what they contribute to the assembly. And this applies to Paul's passage of Ephesians that we went over as well. And so we have to ask ourselves this question as we think about church. Am I a container where everything just comes into me and I keep it for myself? Or am I a conduit where God's blessings flow through me and out? God's love and God's mercy flows through me and out. If you are here this morning... And you are a have-to-go person. Change the outlook. It's not an obligation or a schedule. It's a schedule you keep out of luck. It's something that you have to do, but out of luck. If you're here this morning and you're a need-to person, challenge yourself to go for others more than you do for yourself. See that God doesn't change that. Well, I need to go for myself. And you start going, I need to go because I know this person's going to be there and I can't wait to encourage them. I feel like the Lord's been speaking to me this week and I just have something to tell them. Strive to be that person who wants to go to church. Every part doing its share. Every person considering one another. Stirring up love and good works. Think about the possibilities that happen when God's people come together. We stir each other up in love and good works, and, and then the Holy Spirit falls. That's a church service that I want to be at all the time. You feel the power of God 
working in your lives. You feel the presence of God himself there. Working together, doing our part in the body to bring growth in the body and in the love of the body. That's why church. That's what I believe God wants us to know this morning. That's why he birthed the church on Pentecost. That's why Christ took the apostles and said, Now go forth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in my name, teaching them to observe all things that I have shown you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, and Father, I pray that as you speak to each one of us in our hearts through your Spirit, Father, Lord, show us where we're at, which person we are. Don't, don't allow us to deceive ourselves in our heart to say we're, we're, we're a different person than we are, but Father, show us where we're at so that we can meet you there and you can bring us along, Father. You can mature us, you can move us, Father. Lord, show us where you want us to begin making those changes so we can be the church and not come to church. But Father, I also pray that if there's any here this morning that they, they're hearing this, wait, be the church? I thought I went to church. I don't even know if I am the church. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning and reveal where we're at with our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because we cannot be the church until we are made a part of the church. And that is through accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. As we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, you, you tell us that we are born again of the Spirit of God. And that all who receive Jesus, he gives them the right to become children of God. And as children of God, we become the church of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray. I pray a refreshed vision church, Lord, that you would just continue to gather them together, Lord. That you would build them up. That you would mature them, Father. Lord, that they would stir each other up to good works and love. Exhorting one another, Father. And then, Lord, as they do this and as they mature in this and as they continue in the ways that you're leading them, Father, I pray for their leadership, that their leadership would just grow and follow you, Father, that they would lead in such a way that sparks the church to continue to grow, Father. Lord, that it would grow in health. It would grow in strength, Father. And it would grow in its capacity to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.